Welcome to a special episode of You Need a Counselor. As our frequent listeners know, this podcast is a place where we talk with people on the fence about starting counseling. We invite people to learn more about the counseling process and hear personal experiences in hopes of helping them overcome barriers that keep them from counseling. Today, however, we are partnering with another Heart and Solutions project known as You Need a Training. This podcast, while it can still be listened to by anyone, is more specifically designed with mental health counselors and other helping professionals in mind. In these special episodes, we will explore a variety of topics designed to enrich the professional experiences of mental health providers. These topics will include trainings on treatment modalities, information about working with particular populations, therapeutic interventions, and other special interest trainings. Some of these episodes will even be eligible for continuing education credits for those that need them, so be sure to listen closely. Please feel welcome to stick around for this episode, but do note that it will be different from the content you are used to receiving on this channel. If you're sticking around today, and we sure hope you do, get ready for engaging, thought-provoking conversations because we all know... You need a training. Well, welcome. This is episode five of You Need a Training. I am uh, Dr. Colleen Grote, the Vice President of Therapy at Heart and Solutions. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision. I am a licensed mental health counselor and a registered play therapy supervisor. Today, I am joined by the president and owner of Heart and Solutions, Dr. Julie Johnson, and our wonderful guest who Julie is going to introduce for us. Hello, uh, glad to be back on the show. Thank you, Colleen. Uh, so our guest today comes to us from Waterloo, Cedar Falls area in Iowa. Uh, she does so much cool stuff out there and mainly with children. So uh, she has a double major in theater. And so one of the majors is performance major. The other major was theater for youth. Um, which I think is just so fitting for the work that our guest does on a day-to-day -day basis and continues to build uh, in her career. So uh, we want to welcome Kendra Gleam. Now, if you've listened to You Need a Counselor, you remember Kendra uh, coming onto that show, uh, talking about what it's like to be a behavioral health intervention counselor. Um, and Kendra is a behavioral health intervention supervisor here at Heart and Solutions, uh, seeing clients in the Waterloo and Cedar Falls area. Welcome, Kendra. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, yeah, like you said, I have a double theater emphasis degree. So I did performance, which I loved, but I also found a very special place in my heart for theater for youth. Um, I've done a lot of work with with theater for youth, um, probably actually more than performance. Um, so I, I really do. I love working with kids. Um, and a lot of the stuff that I did for theater for youth actually was, um, spectrum, like autism spectrum focused. Uh, so I started my theater for youth degree with, uh, drama and inclusive classrooms. That's actually the class that got me interested in doing youth theater. So, um, I, worked with kids who were ages four and five who were on the spectrum. Um, and ultimately we were teaching them how to use their creativity skills. Um, and it was really fun and it moved me into, I started volunteering for our spectrum Sundays with Greta Bergkammer at UNI, um, where we would have kids on the spectrum come and do an hour of theater. Again, learning social skills, creativity building, um, all of this, awesome stuff and we got to use like props and stuff it was way cool 
Um, and then that led me to do Sturgis Youth Theater, which was a summer program for typical and atypical kids. So we had typical kids working with atypical kids on building a show. And it was really awesome. I did that for Oh, I always forget if it was three or four summers, but I did that for quite a while. Um, and it was awesome. Very unfortunately, COVID had stopped that program. Um, and Greta uh, retired, which like great for her, but also sad for the community because then now we don't have that program anymore. But hopefully it'll get started up again sometime. Um, but then when I moved to the Rose in Omaha, I did inclusivity committee where we figured out how to um, create special needs classes uh, in the theater specifically, how to include all kids of all abilities into our shows and our classes as well. Um, and how, like how to get funding and programming for that. It was really awesome. Um, and I actually taught spectrum classes at the Rose as well. Um, and then I also did the Spectrum Project with uh, Dr. Kevin Drow, uh, which was really cool. It includes drama, music, art, like a bunch of different creative, um, you know, types of structures to put on a show. Um, and then I also worked for about eight years at a place called Comprehensive Systems, where it was adults with disabilities. Um, and I used, I got them into the theater world all the time. And I used my, you know, theater training to help them build their everyday life skills. So it was, it was kind of meant to be <laughs> that I work with kids and people with disabilities. I really enjoy um, working with, especially kids on the spectrum. I just, I love that they a lot of times are very black and white on things, right? There's not really any gray, um, but sometimes that black and white area can bleed into gray like you start to see the creativity build and it starts to kind of like build and then we work from there that history there the experience that you've had is just incredible to to hear and i'm so excited to to know that all of that is coming into today's training right because today we get to spend some time talking about working with drama on the autism spectrum and how theater can teach creative play, right? So when we think about theater, and I am I am not a theater major, right? And so I'm so excited to, to have you with us. But when we think about those creative arts and theater and, and how that is designed to be able to help people with a wide variety of skills, right? Teaching and understanding empathy, that trust building, um, as well as social skills and being creative and, and focus and concentration, right? Like so many skills wrapped up into the entirety of, of that theater production and process, right? Not just the final product. Um, and when I think about working with children with an autism diagnosis, there are some barriers um, in some of these social skill developmental fields, right? And those are different and unique for every child and adult that we work with. Um, but thinking about all of those social skills and, and how those may be impacted by the specific uh, presenting symptoms of someone's autism diagnosis, I am so excited for you to be here today and help us learn um, how role playing and building characters and telling stories all through theater and the pieces of, of theater that go together can really help 
uh, children with an autism diagnosis learn these skills and really enhance their confidence in their interactions with, with the peers in the world around them. So um, I am so excited to, to hear more today. Yeah, for sure. And you know, the saying is when you've met one person on the spectrum, you've met one person on the spectrum, right? Nobody on the spectrum is the same. Everybody has different, you know, ticks, um, stems, you know, different sensitivities. They have different personalities. They are human beings. <laughs> like they are still unique to the world, even with their diagnosis. Um, but it, you know, I, I do find that there are some things that are very clearly similar in most people on the spectrum. Um, one thing I've found, especially in all my work is structure and consistency is key. Um, kids on the spectrum love a schedule. They <laughs> love that structure. If you, especially if you can like put it on a board, right? That's what we did with Sturgis Youth Theater was the kids came in and they looked at the board of what we were gonna do today. And we had it in order, what we were gonna do, um, sometimes even stating exactly what time we're gonna do stuff, right? We had a very detailed schedule for Sturgis Youth Theater um, and it helped it, kids. It was so great. Cause like if we were running behind, one of our kids on the spectrum would come up and be like, we're not supposed to be on this scene right now. Like we gotta move on. And we're like, yep, you're right. Let's move on, you know? Um, so it, while it is a little bit of a struggle sometimes with flexibility, um, I also think that within the structure and the consistency of a schedule, you do kind of have to go with the flow as well because you never know what's going to trigger maybe a meltdown or what's going to cause some oversensitivities and you need to maybe take a break and then come back. Um, or you never know if they're going to start to find that bleed of gray, right? You don't know. Cause if, if you've, um, I'm trying to think, uh, one example is I had a student in, um, Spectrum Project, who he absolutely didn't want to be there. Um, he he did not want to be there. He didn't want to do drama. Drama was his least favorite part. He loved art. He loved music. Didn't want to do drama, though. And so every week, we would try really hard to encourage him to be part of, uh, we were creating an alligator. Um, and we were like, you know, which part do you want to be? Which, you know, what do you think? And he would always get his communication device and be like, no, no, I'm not doing it. So, but then one week we brought extra props and he happened to find this one like blanket type thing that he really liked and he wanted to go like this. So he decided he wanted to be the tail. And I was like, oh my gosh, guys. Oh my gosh, everybody chill out. It's fine. It's happening. <laughs> and he, you know, then he was laughing and he wanted to do it. So we were able to kind of go with the flow and instead of expecting him to just not want to do it and kind of, you know, some people's instinct would be to give up, right? They're like, well, he obviously doesn't want to do it. Let's just give up. We kept encouraging him. We kept showing him different things. And then he one day decided, oh, there's that bleed of gray. I'm going to pretend to be an alligator. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. So um, I went home very excited that day. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's good to also go with the flow while being within that structure, I think, for, um, you know, kids on, on the spectrum. But... Um, I also like to start with trust building. Um, you know, these kids are meeting you half the time for the first time. Um, 
it, it can, <laughs> one of my favorite things about theater is that everything is um, adaptable, right? You can do activities for a huge group, or if you only do one-on-one, -on -one, you can also adapt things to be one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and so a lot of times trust building um, while you're working on it one-on-one -on -one with the individual, you also may have to work on trust building as a group. Um, and that honestly just kind of comes with time and patience. Uh, I tell everyone, if you're going to work with someone who's atypical, you need to make sure that you've got patience um, or at least try, right? So, because uh, it's it's not always going to be a quick, you know, it's not going to be a quick thing. It's not going to be a, a quick understand it's not going to be quick <laughs> so um it just takes and it also takes time to build trust with anyone i feel so um but especially kids on the spectrum they they know their people they want to be with the people they know and it can take some time to build that trust so um a lot of times what i how i say uh to people is to start small and start simple um you know use direct phrases use simple phrases, um, you know, just to be clear. Because uh, if you were to tell uh, someone on the spectrum, I'm just pulling your leg, they're gonna be like, you're not even touching my leg. What are you talking about? <laughs> so um, you can't use terms like that. We, you know, we've got our slang terms, we've got our terms of, you know, uh, I can't think of the word right now. But um, it, you know, we, we can't use those phrases, because kids on the spectrum take everything very literally. So um, you need to be like aware of what you're saying. Um, I've slipped multiple times. I still do it all the time where I'll say something and then I get this look and I go, right, I need to, let me go back. <laughs> I'm like, let me explain myself a little bit better. Um, and, you know, using big, long sentences and words like I'm doing now, it isn't really that helpful uh, when you're working with kids on the spectrum a lot of times it's we will do this I am this right uh so a good one I like to start with character building a lot because if you're going to work up into a story right um you need to start by uh learning empathy building a character understanding emotions um and a lot of times you know kids on the spectrum are not they're not born with that creativity. They have to learn it, um, which is actually one of the first signs that your child may have autism, right? Is that they're not creatively playing. Um, or, you know, they might be, but it's not how all the other kids their age are creatively playing. Um, so I know that that, I, or at least Colleen and Julie, please correct me if I'm wrong. I do know that that is one of the first signs that, a child may have autism. Um, it's not like a for sure thing, but it, it could be one of the, it could be one of the signs. So um, we, a lot of times have to teach that creativity. We have to teach those empathy building skills. We have to teach all of that. So um, a lot of times uh, the way I start simple, especially with character building is I will do a game called this is nada. Um, and what we do is we take, I love a pool noodle. Pool noodles are great. You can do a lot with a pool noodle. Um, but like, let's say, for instance, I've got this pen. I would say, this is not a pen. This is a mustache. Right? And then I hold it to my lips. 
Um, and then I would I would pass it on to the next person. And this is one that you can do one on one. You would just pass it back and forth. Right. Or you could do it in a big group and you pass it around the circle. Um, but I would then pass it to the next person and I would say, what is this? And they would say, this is not a mustache. This is a Q-tip, right? Or this is not a mustache. This is my toothbrush. And so you would encourage them. You may need to give, you know, prompts or what could this pen be? Um, what else do you think it looks like, right? Describing what the pen could look like, could be. Um, and I don't ever tell a child no, right? Especially on this is not a, we're saying it's not a pen. So whatever they come up with, I'm going to be like, oh, I see. I see how you thought that. Okay. I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. It's a lot of positive reinforcement, a lot of encouragement. Um, so that way, if, you know, your child on the spectrum struggling, they're like, well, but it's a pen. And I'm like, I know. What else could it be, though? Literally nothing. It's a pen. You're right. It is a pen. I think maybe it also could be a tail, right? Um, and then be like, what kind of tail, like on what animal do you think it could be? And that could potentially spark some of that, right? Bleeding into gray. So um, that one is a also a good trust building, you know, <laughs> exercise. But um, the character building in that is that they can start to build ideas and creativity on, well, what could this pen be involved in? Or like, what could, like, what kind of a character could I be? And that's kind of when I start to do the tail thing, because I'm like, oh, I'm a dog. And then I'll pretend to be like, whoop, 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 you know, or like, look, I'm wagging my tail. Um, so I really like to start simple with that one, uh, just because it's, it's easy. It's not anything that causes a whole lot of pressure. Um, and you can literally use any object you can see, right? So if the pen's not working, okay, well, what, what object do you want to use? What could we come up with instead, right? Um, and then kind of just go from there. I, I love hearing this intervention and not, like I said, not being a theater person, not using a lot of drama in my play, one of the places my brain goes is this is an incredible intervention to also help with that black and white concrete thinking in different social contexts, right? So while you're character building, I'm going, okay, so when the kid at school, right, thinks that the only way we get to the lunchroom, right, is this way, and that exit is shut down for maintenance, right? Oh, this is not an entrance. This is a castle wall, right? And we have to take, like, the ways that that can be adapted to help with all of those social skills, right? Like my, all of the options there. And, and like you said, such a not simple intervention, but not, you know, we don't need a lot of tools and materials and being able to access that in so many settings. Like what an incredible way to start challenging that, that thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the cool thing about theater also is that, we are building skills, uh, <laughs> like we always say, uh, we're building skills to build a well-rounded individual, right? You're learning a bunch of different skills just by doing these exercises. Um, and it's always my favorite when people doubt it because <laughs> I, they're like, theater is not serious. Theater is not, you know, a real, you know, talent. Theater is not a real job, things like that. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. 
you just wait. You watch your kid build these skills and you might think differently. I'm just saying. <laughs> so um, the doubt really drives me. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. But yeah, I, I really love that because it, it does. It challenges uh, your student to then have to think of a different way to approach obstacles in their life, um, which can be very hard. Yeah, when you have that, that black and white thinking, absolutely. Um, I lot a lot of times I'm moving on to my next um, activity, but um, a lot of times with character building, the next one I like to do uh, is a little bit more challenging because the kids have to use their body, um, and sometimes kids on the spectrum don't want to, you know, put themselves in that situation um but it's called a thousand ways to cross the room you're literally starting at one end of a room and you're crossing the room in different ways so um with someone on the spectrum again you can do this in a group or you can do this individually to help build trust right you can model for your student um okay so we're gonna play a thousand ways to cross the room um and we're just gonna start by literally walking across the room we'll be literal on this one right walk across the room. Cool. That wasn't too bad, was it? Um, let's go ahead and you know what? Now we're going to cross the room, but we're going to cross on our tiptoes. We're going to be quiet when we cross. And so then we're, you know, going to move together and tiptoe, be quiet. Wow. That wasn't so bad. Okay. Well, maybe we could try <gasps> crossing the room as if it's raining outside. Oh my goodness. What would you need if it's raining? What would you, what would it feel like if it's raining? Would you be upset or would you be excited that it's raining? Would you want to walk in the rain? <laughs> How quickly would you walk through the rain? You know what I mean? And then you start asking those questions. So that way they can start thinking about how do I need to move my body to make it look like I'm in the rain? So they're thinking about their environment. Um, and that's, again, starting where the creativity is coming from. Um, they have to think about what kind of a person they want to be moving through the rain. Um, do I want to be myself moving through the rain? Or do I want to be somebody else who's maybe more confident moving through the rain? Or maybe I like the rain, but do I want to be someone who doesn't like the rain? Um, so then they start to have to build character in that way. Um, and I really, really love that activity because a lot of times, even if a, even if a child is very literal, um, a lot of times they end up being really funny. <laughs> so they're, they're just like, yeah, I'm walking through the rain. <laughs> or they'll, you know, say things like, well, I would have an umbrella. And I'm like, okay, show me what that looks like. What would it look like if you had an umbrella and you're walking through the rain? That's not so bad, is it? Right? So I really love that activity as well because you're literally just moving across the room until you feel like they get it. Um, and then a lot of times I'll then move up next in that kind of character building to one that's even harder where you have to actually play a character and use your body, which <laughs> the activity is called broccoli. Um, so we start out with, uh, I explain, you have to create your body into what you think a broccoli would look like, right? So that could be just standing there like this. Or I'm like, do you think the broccoli feels any type of way? Like, do you think broccoli is happy? Do you think your broccoli is sad? Do you think your broccoli is scared because they're about to get cooked? Do you, you know, do you think your broccoli, uh, is maybe mushy because it's already been cooked. Um, and so I like start to ask those questions 
and I say, why don't you, let's think about it for a second. What kind of broccoli do you want to be? Um, and a lot of times kids will be like, I know, I know. Um, and even if they just stand there as regular broccoli, I'm like, that's great. Look at that. A regular stock of broccoli. Awesome. And we move on to the next person. Like, what kind of broccoli are you? You know what I mean? Um, but a lot of times I'll count down. I'll say, okay, think about what kind of broccoli you want to be. And on the count of three, we're going to, you're going to show me what kind of broccoli you are. Um, again, you can do this in a group. You can do this in, you know, a single one-on-one -on -one, uh scenario um but then yeah they'll they'll make their broccoli and a lot of times it gets more creative as we go um but even if it doesn't that's okay <laughs> you know lots of reinforcement and and um it also has them you know thinking of food as potential like animated objects you know what i mean so um it's really interesting <laughs> to to see especially with someone who's very literate, like who's very like literal, I mean, um, they're like, uh, I, I'm just, bro broccoli doesn't do anything. It's like, well, what does it sound like if it's getting fried? Maybe you could lay down and be like, pop, 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 you know, <laughs> or, um, uh, you know, wh whatever comes to mind. Um, but then a lot of times I'll change it up too. I'm like, okay, so we're not going to be broccoli anymore. Now we're going to be a strawberry we're moving on to fruits, right? <laughs> um, and you can move on to like whatever you can think of. And a lot of times I will do at least two, I come up with them, right? I do a vegetable, broccoli, I do a fruit, whatever I think of. Um, but then I'll say, well, what do you think we should be next? What? I don't know. And sometimes they'll be like, we're a lamp. I'm like, great, now we're moving on to inanimate, other inanimate objects, right? Like something with electricity. What does that sound like? Things like that. Um, and I really love that because it just like, it's building character in a way that you wouldn't think, like when you think character building, you think I'm creating a person. But I mean, you get kids playing trees and stuff in play. So <laughs> you, sometimes you got to come up with that, uh, like, other brain, right? You got to think outside the box. Um, and that can be really hard for kids on the spectrum to do. So, you know, building up those skills to get to that point is kind of important. Um, because if you tried to start with broccoli, it's, it's not going to be a very good success. <laughs> so, um, like you said earlier too, right? How we are working with this very literal brain. I remember I was working with a child one time and said, you know, oh, your shoes are on the wrong feet. And he sat there forever and ever and ever and started sobbing, right? And looked at me and said, but I don't have any other feet. Okay, right? Like we're working. With, and so, you know, I'm thinking about, again, those social situations where we need to, you know, practice some patience or we need to be waiting for something. And how many times at school are we told to stand still like a statue, right? Or, you know, they're telling my four-year-old to catch a bubble when they really mean we need to be quiet so the teacher can talk, right? And so all of these things where we say them kind of colloquially of like, okay, do these things, be a statue, be frozen, be whatever. When they're playing games like broccoli, right? Even if they, you know, even if they're still processing that, literally being able to think about, oh, Miss Kendra taught me how to play this game where I can act like broccoli, right? Now I can learn to act like a statue when my teacher says to even if there's still a little, you know, tear in that, that connection piece, um, it may make sense to them differently than it does their peers, but they're learning how 
to interact in that environment. Um, and again, just being able to transfer those skills from the theater and the stage to their everyday is, is a great way to think about those things. For sure. And there's actually another uh, game that kids really love. That It's typically just my, like, we've got time, let's play it game. Um, it's called Statues in the Garden, where you have to create a... St- I, I like to theme it just because it makes it easier for kids to come up with a statue. If you're like... Oh yeah, just created a statue. They're like, I don't. What do I do? I don't know. I'm. Uh. <laughs> they like panic. They're like, I don't. I'm not sure what to do. So I like to put a theme to it. I'll be like, Oh, we're going to the statue of superheroes. Like, make a superhero pose. Or we're going to the statue of monsters. Can you make a monster pose? And um, I, I give them like 30 seconds to do that, and then I gotta walk through, and they have to be still until my back is to them, and then they can move. And I'm like, Well. And if I catch you moving, then you're you're out or whatever. Um, but uh, that's also a really good one to help with creativity and um, also like rule following, you know, following directions, completing tasks, listening <laughs> to instructions, things like that. Um, it's it's a, a lot of fun. And it's also helpful uh, with building those skills as well. Um, <laughs> anytime I ask students, like, what game do you want to play? Statues in the garden. <laughs> I don't know. They just love. They yeah, love... what way to deconstruct some of that rigid rule following too, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we work with kids and we're like, oh, we want them to be able to follow rules better. They need to listen to directions better. Sometimes it's like, oh, I don't want them to let loose a little bit, right? I want them to be able, and, and then hearing that game, right, which um, I hadn't heard of before, I'd like, okay, within these, these barriers and these limitations, we're also going to learn to let loose and sneak around behind Kendra's back, right, and do these things <laughs> that are fun that other, you know, some other children may, may need to slide down the scale of how often they do that, helping these kids kind of give permission to themselves to to do that is a really unique experience that uh, they may not be getting a lot of other places. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. In addition to these really fun direct interventions that you've given us today, uh, you've also along the way just cumulatively given us so many interventions that apply to each of them. And so uh, I just want to kind of highlight those, right? So the, the fact that in each scenario and activity that you're presenting to us, you are, you're providing the directions as simply as possible, as literally directly as possible and as clearly as possible. You are setting the schedule and giving everybody that information as far in advance as possible with allowing for Uh, some of that flexibility because you never know when we're going to have that those gray moments come up and we're going to say oh we we gotta allow this to happen Um, and so being able to have that structure in place uh, and explaining those directions as clearly the other thing that I I just want to highlight that I'm hearing over and over in the way that you are describing these interventions is you are, I think it is a theater rule, right? We don't say no, we say yes and. And I hear that throughout all of the interventions that you're doing. You'll say, oh, a child might say, uh, well, broccoli doesn't do anything. You're like, yeah, broccoli doesn't do anything, right? So what does even that look like? Just a broccoli laying in the fridge, right? Or a broccoli uh, cooking or, uh, and so being able to say, 
but yeah, this this purple pen is a dinosaur. Yeah, it is a dinosaur, right? Uh, and what else is it? Um, is is just a really great validation uh, intervention. I think that across interventions in our field is so, so useful. Um, so I just wanted to highlight that, that I'm hearing that in every single one. I think it's just really important. And so you've talked about building empathy. You've talked about interventions that build trust. You've talked about interventions that build that creativity uh, and the social skills. I'm curious, what kinds of interventions do you do uh, maybe in a group setting or in smaller groups that facilitate those social skills between participants in the group? Yeah, so uh, I actually uh, was moving on to, uh, so we do a lot of role play, right, in theater, um, which then leads to storytelling, right? So one of my favorite ones to do um, in a role play scenario is, um, you know, typically I like to start with one-on-one -on -one role play scenarios uh, where we do A-B conversations. They're very vague, like four line um, kind of scripts and you can say them in different ways and they mean different things. Um, so in a social aspect, I really like to do that one-on-one, -on -one. but then when we're going into groups settings, um, um, I really love this game called The Great Oracle. Um, it's uh, We call it the three-headed oracle. You have three students, one standing, one sitting in a chair, and one sitting uh, cross-legged on the floor. Um, and they each have to use only uh, one word to answer a question, right? So you have your other kids in the audience, and each kid gets a turn to ask the Great Oracle a question. Um, but there are rules. You must praise or give a compliment to the great oracle. So when you ask a, a question, you have to say, oh, mighty, wonderful, beautiful haired oracle, uh, what color is the sky? <laughs> and then the, the, the kids get to answer. So one word at a time, um, they have to work together, right? It's a teamwork building um, exercise. They get to, uh, uh, half the time the sentence doesn't really make sense and it doesn't actually answer the question very well, but we can't insult the great Oracle. We cannot. So we have to remember that whatever answer the great Oracle gives us is fact. So we just let it go. Um, it's a yes. It's kind of a yes. And right. Um, so I really, really love that, <laughs> that for role playing because um, you know, you're, you're having a conversation with a be a, like a being that's almighty and and but it's actually really your other classmates, right? Um, but they then have to still work together. They have to, you know, work on active listening because well, what did the person say right before me that I need to, you know, add to, um, and things like that. And it it's very silly. Kids get really really silly with that one. Um. And even if a kid is very literal um, and they say like, well, that's not the that's not the right answer, though. We're like, oh, don't say that to the great oracle. Keep that. We got to you can tell your neighbor, but don't tell the great oracle. Right. Um, and, and then they're like, oh, yeah, OK. <laughs> so they just kind of are like, well, that wasn't right. But 
I guess that's what the great Oracle says. So um, it's just reminding them that like, these are the the rules of this game. Um, and sometimes like if you're on stage, right, we bring that up in classes is if you're on stage, um, a play is written the way it's written for a reason. So if somebody says something on stage that maybe doesn't make sense to you, it might make sense to your character though. So it starts to kind of build that, you know, more character building, right? Um, but you're then able to interact in a role play scenario to start kind of seeing where that's going to go um, and how you could potentially end up putting that on stage as well. Um, the Great Oracle is one of my very favorite games. <laughs> Obviously, I'm highlighting my favorites right now, but these are also, they are also really helpful. Um, but then, you know, I, later on when... If you feel comfortable with your, your student, um, you know, let's, well, not us being comfortable with our student, but if the student is comfortable in class, um, let's say they've maybe made some friends, they feel the trust in the room, um, they've started to maybe open up a little bit and see that gray, they're maybe, you know, exercising their creativity skills, um, then we can move on to kind of more imp improv like games. Um, improv is very hard. <laughs> so uh, it, it, it's hard for even me and I teach it. Um, but you know, it's it's hard when you're very literal with everything because it uh, the rule of improv is yes and so you cannot say no when someone says, do you see that volcano over there? You can't be like, no, there's no volcano. <laughs> you it kills the scene. So you got to keep going and, and say, yeah, it's exploding. What do we do? You know, stuff like that. Um, so we kind of then, uh, once we feel good about our student, maybe potentially trying something like that, it's good to exercise that, you know, exercise the pushing of the pushing is not the right word encouragement of you know harder things um so there's things like dinner party taxi park bench these are all interacting with your peers um in front of an audience right um i would say dinner party is probably better because you can split the group in half where half of your kids in the group are watching and then the other half are participating in this dinner party. Um, half of the time I like to just write out what kind of character they could be. So I, I would be like really fancy waiter or, and then I would give them that slip and be like, this is who, who you are. Um, but don't tell anyone, right? We got to keep it to ourselves. You have to act that way or um, really angry uh, like a really angry carpenter. Like, let's say you were out in, in the yard, in the yard working on the house. Um, you're a really angry carpenter and you've come into this dinner party. How would you act? How would you interact with other people? Right. Um, th that's a really, it's the, a much harder one, but you could do it. Um, taxi is also probably going to be a little bit easier, but still difficult. Um, because what you do is you've got one person driving and every time they pick somebody up, the person they pick up has a different emotion and the taxi driver now has to take on that person's emotion. Like, hi, where are you going? I need to get to the airport. Take me to the airport. Okay, sir, I'll take you to the airport. And then and now they're all mad driving to the airport. And then I got to stop and pick up this other person, right? And they stop and they pick it up and the person gets in and they're like, I got to go to my grandma's house.
And then everybody in the taxi, okay, let's go to grandma's house. And now they're all crying and upset, right? And then maybe the last person to get into the taxi is just elated. They're like, I'm having the time of my life. Take me anywhere. And they're, and then everyone's like, yes, we're going anywhere. And um, so then they just have to take on the emotions of the people that come in. Um, that one also is one that I really like to write out what emotion they're going to be and give to them. So that way they don't have to, you know, come up with it on their own and, and maybe panic, you know, uh, giving kids choices is helpful too. <laughs> um, being like, Oh, which one do you want to be? Or here, I'm going to give you this one. Uh, that way they know what's on their slip of paper. They're like, yep, this is the emotion I have to be. Um, until the next person gets in, then I get to take on their emotion. Um, so I really like that one as well because it, it helps with, yeah, practicing that emotion, practicing maybe even the empathy of other, other cab people getting in. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, forces them to have to be in the moment and present with their peers and socialize ultimately. Um, so I really love that one, but they are, those are the harder role plays, um, to do. So it, it's one of those things where you got to make sure your student is ready. Um, cause if they're not ready, you're going to set them up for failure and it's going to, it could potentially lose some trust. So how do you, what do you look for? How do we, how do we know someone was ready to kind of step into some of those second tier interventions? Yeah. So typically I know my students are ready when they've been actively participating. They seem happy to come to class. They uh, understand the emotions of their peers, right? Um, they've been uh, maybe a little less shy. Uh, they're kind of starting to open up. Um, I will say a lot of times it's just kind of a feeling. I'm like, I think they might be ready. Um, and then I, I test it. I try to start with those smaller ones, like the great Oracle. Um, and if they can get through that and they, you know, half the time my kids will leave the class being like, that was the best. We should do that again. Um, that's another thing is if, if they ask to do the activity again, like, can we do that again next time? They might be ready to step up to the next, to the next level. Um, and you can simplify those, um, role plays a little bit too for the class. Um, but, they are, they are, they're just still hard, right? So um, it, it, you might have to take some time to sit down and like figure out exactly, you know, student to student, how can we simplify this? Because um, it would be student based, right? It's um, how can we set this student up for success when doing this with their peers? Um, I also have a rule in my class uh, where, you know, we don't laugh at, we laugh with. Um, if, if you feel like you need to laugh at your, um, fellow peers, uh, you can go ahead and sit out of the activity. Um, but if it's a laugh with, that's a lot different. Um, and I, I, a lot of times will give them an example of that. And it's like, you know, um, if I am laughing and somebody starts to feel bad, I am laughing at, um, if I am laughing and they are laughing, we are laughing with. So, um, I have that rule, but I also have a rule of we do not yuck other people's yums. So uh, a lot of my introductory stuff is um, getting, you know, it's getting to know you. <laughs> um, and we'll say, like, 
oh, my name's Kendra and I really love dogs. And if someone's like, I hate dogs, I'm like, that's your preference. You don't like dogs, but guess what? I really love dogs. Um, so we don't yuck other people's yums. Cause I've, I've had kids before be like, that's disgusting. And I'm like, well, it might be to you, but we're not, you know, we're not going to say that all the time. That's not very nice to say to other people. And I don't want them to think that they can't like that. So, um, yeah, everyone who comes to my classes, who's had a class before with me, they'll come in and they're like, no yucking other people's yums. And I'm like, that's right. We don't do that. <laughs> I love that, Kendra. These are such great structural pieces to put onto any intervention that we're doing, uh, and mm -hmm. especially these theater ones, because it takes this level of trust, because acting in any capacity, in front of other people, in front of one person, doing it with ourselves, in our minds, it takes bravery, and it takes courage to do that, and so it takes that trust uh, to mm -hmm. be able to really be able to be in the moment present, like you said. And, you know, we talked about so many of these different skills that you're building with these interventions. And this one really, that piece comes down to focus and concentration as well to me. So you talked about some of those ones like taxi, it forces them to be in the moment and interacting in that moment. And it sounds like those larger group ones, even though they're more challenging, they, they, they've done more work to build up to those skills. Uh, it sounds like those ones, because there's so much going on at any given time, it really does build that skill of focusing on what other people are saying and concentrating on the, the group and what is happening. Um, so I think that is is beautiful statue. It sounds like really helps with focus and concentration. <laughs> and and what great interventions these ones dinner party and and taxi uh, for working with families and working with uh, building up that individual trust, that individual sense of uh, of belonging, building that up first, and then inter, uh, bringing family members into those interventions one at a time or two at a time, uh, I think is such a, a cool way to be able to use that in our therapeutic uh, and counseling practice. So uh, these are such great, great activities, Kendra. We thank you so much for sharing them with us. Uh, these are beautiful, beautiful activities. For sure. A big part of theater is active listening and being present. Um, but those are skills you can take out in, into the world, right? Because if I'm trying to talk with a friend and I'm clearly not actually listening to them, they're going to get upset at me. And I'm not, you know, they're not going to be very happy with me because they're like, did you even listen to what I just said? No, I wasn't actively listening. I wasn't focusing. I apologize, you know. Um, but kids on the spectrum may not think that that's rude. They may not recognize that that is socially inappropriate to not actively listen to whoever's talking to you. Um, and I mean, there are also some typical people who really struggle with that as well, though. So it's it's kind of an all around, everybody should actively listen when they're talking to someone. But, you know, it's, it's something that kind of goes to the wayside every now and then. But especially with kids on the spectrum, it's a really important social skill to help them build so they can, you know, gain those 
social relationships, those friendships, um, and feel like they're being a good friend. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's important. <laughs> so Absolutely. I love that. Thank you so much. It's a great reminder for all of us as we're modeling that skill to our, the people that we work with to be able to do that active reflective, uh, listening. So I, I think that is such an important point. So if you are uh, listening to this, if you are in Iowa and you're interested in learning more about behavioral health intervention services with Kendra, she does those services in Waterloo, Cedar Falls here in Iowa, uh, but she's also a BHIS supervisor and she supervises everywhere. Providers all over the state. So I uh, definitely check her out at heartandsolutions.net. Uh, also, if you are in this area and you've got children that you are like, oh my gosh, how do I sign my child up for this? Uh, Black Hawk Children's Theater. Uh, Black Hawk Children's Theater. So go ahead and uh, Google them. You're going to see that there's a story drama class coming up with Kendra Thursday night. Uh, ages 7 through 10, and that starts September 7th. So uh, go Google that, check that out, uh, get signed up for that class. Yeah, Kendra, thank you so much again for everything that you shared with us today. Um, I'm excited to, to go incorporate some of these outside of the, the theater room, and I really um, can't wait to hear, hear more from you. I know we could talk a lot longer about all of these interventions and these techniques. So thank you again for sharing not only your knowledge, but your passion. It's so evident as we talk to you how excited you are um, about this, which uh, is incredible to see. So thank you everybody for listening today. And don't forget that you need a training. Thank you so much for joining us today on You Need a Training. We encourage you to share this episode with anyone you think may be interested in learning more about mental health techniques and interventions. Also, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date with all upcoming training opportunities. And don't forget to listen to our other podcast, You Need a Counselor, where we talk with individuals around the world about their counseling experiences. Heart and Solutions is proud to provide CE-eligible trainings for our counseling community. This training may be eligible for continuing education credit hours through either the National Board for Certified Counselors provider number 7376, or the Association of Play Therapy, provider number 21-645. To obtain CE hours for today's training, be sure to follow the steps in the description below.